Good morning, and welcome to Ronkel and the Mayor. Had a pretty good week this week. Hope everybody uh, had a good weekend. Uh, I got in some great walks. The weather's really been agreeing with me. Uh, it's a little chilly, but as long as it's dry, I can pretty much go anywhere, and there's visibility and everything are a lot better. But uh, I've been concentrating on uh, my form lately. Um, I got a little out of practice with the walks over the holidays. Uh, did a little traveling. Was sick a few times, uh, so I just sort of cut. Uh, I cut back a little bit. So now I'm back in the full swing of things. But I realize I have to work on my form, my lower back and lumbar. Uh, you use a lot of torso when walking. I've learned over the years, and uh, I like to make sure that. I don't push it too much because I don't want to have a sore back. I've never had a bad back, and I don't want to start now at 42 years old having bad back stuff. So I've been working on my form, making sure my, my feet, I'm stepping right. I can get kind of lazy with my steps and roll my feet or walk kind of like a duck. Um, so I, I've been concentrating on heel, toe, heel, toe, and trying trying to walk straight. And I've noticed it's really uh, began, uh, begun tightening up my my back again and so the other day I, I did a, a steeper hill <laughs> uh, I do a pretty flat walk but I could feel my my back muscles actually pushing me up the hill so felt like I was getting back to normal as far as my walks go and uh, that, that was a good feeling uh, it's it's hard to get back in the groove when I was I was really motoring up through the fall and uh, you know as the holidays hit I just got a little distracted so it's good uh, getting back into it. I'm really feeling pretty healthy, even though I had a couple. Of, there's a couple of cruddy bugs going around. I actually think that the the high motor of my walks uh, kind of helped me. Um, talked about mental health last week, and definitely uh, having a, a strong, clear mind helped helped uh, keep my motivation up. And so I kept walking, and I think that positive frame of mind also helped me uh, uh, keep from getting really sick and so I disposed of a couple of colds in uh, you know 24 hours or so and just uh, pushed on um, along with this uh, nice weather and all my walks is uh, like I said I've been having to do some yard work not having to uh, it's just part of the responsibility of having a yard you 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 need to do it uh, or else the place can look pretty ratty so um, I I've noticed all the bulbs coming up, and I've had to add some wood chips so that the uh, squirrels don't dig up any of the, the random bulbs in the yard. I have several hundred daffodils and uh, crocus and other other uh, flowers that come up in the spring, and uh, they're popping up now. Um, and a few I could see where they could possibly even open. So, um, you know, spring is coming. Um, I also, I sprayed my apple tree. I have some uh, organic orange and copper spray that was given to by my father, recommended. And uh, you start spraying in the late fall and winter, and I do it about once a month. And that keeps the bugs from burrowing on the tree. And as the buds start forming for the apples, uh, it, uh, it keeps them from burrowing into the fruit. And last year I had a pretty, uh, pretty successful haul on the apples, and it was the first year that I had done off-season spraying on the trees. And so I wound up with tons, of, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of apples, which I peeled and cored and I've uh, been making uh, pies and apple crisps and adding it to my smoothie all, all winter. So uh, worked out pretty well and it's kind of nice to see how uh, 
how the tree has matured and how it's getting healthier. And speaking of the smoothie, every day I actually uh, drink this thing. It's my famous smoothie. It's why I kick so much butt and uh, my mornings are so, are so enthusiastic. Uh, so I I put uh, 16 ounces of Bai, B-A-I, um, this calorie-free or uh, five-calorie um, juice, I guess we'll call it. It's uh, no sugar. I'm trying. I'm trying to go as low sugar and uh, no dairy on the morning smoothie, just uh, just to start everything off right. So, um, I, 16 ounces of buy, and I split this with my wife. Um, to that, I add um, this stuff called Perfect Food. And it's a a super green formula. There's 45 phytonutrient dense foods, 12 sprouted ingredients. It has a little bit of fiber and protein, but basically uh, everything you can imagine, including fermented grasses. And so I do a scoop of that. I do a scoop of chia seeds, hemp hearts, a banana, and an avocado. And I blend that all up. And uh, basically I chug it. I just knock it back and uh, I feel great. I'm not very good about cooking vegetables as side dishes or working them into the, the food that I cook. So I started drinking this smoothie, vegetable-based, about five years ago. And I just continue to do it daily. Not that I don't eat vegetables uh, with other meals, but this allows me to continue to basically suck at cooking vegetables with, with uh, my other meals and uh, not suffer the consequences. So anything I get uh, outside of this is above and beyond. And I've uh, been looking at the serving size. I definitely get 9 to 12 servings of fruits and vegetables every day, uh, no problem. And I get probably 75% of my fiber in before uh, by lunchtime each day. So... Um, my insides are working pretty well. My mind is clear, getting those walks in. And uh, the, the last little ingredient to that morning, that uh, trifecta, is my latte. When I have a latte addiction, I'm uh, totally willing to admit it. I get up every morning about 6.30 and uh, make myself a latte, make my wife a latte, and, get, and uh, set it aside uh, for her to take to work. Um, then uh, I make myself a second latte, and uh, I, I usually do that an hour after the first one. And if it's a, if it really gets me going, I could, you know, I have to restrain myself from uh, p- making another one. Although I do often have another coffee at one or two in the afternoon. The funny thing is, is I used to be a big soda drinker, and of course, I realize now um, I drank like 25 Diet Cokes or Cokes or whatever because the caffeine and the sugar, you know, I was pretty addicted to it. And so the caffeine addiction, I notice sometimes I'll miss coffee um, for whatever reason. I just don't want any, and I don't really get headaches from it. Um, I know some people have caffeine withdrawals, so I'm not sure if I'm just not... um, drinking enough caffeine each day or if my latte is a little small I'm not really sure I mean there's a little bit of milk in there uh, but I usually do double shot lattes so you know four to six shots of espresso every day I'm not really sure if that's a good or bad thing Um, but it seems pretty good because the the coffee I get is great and I enjoy making it and I actually have a special method I used to have these awesome espresso machines. I had an espressioni, this Italian thing, this giant red, looked like a machine, looked like a Corvette. <laughs> it was really awesome, made really great coffee. 
but the parts just kept breaking. I'd have to order some sort of uh, the water tub, a valve, and over time it was, it, it was just a hassle and it was big. And so I wound up with a smaller espresso machine and I used that for a while until it burnt out. And I got kind of tired of spending money on these things and so I got the barista stovetop coffee maker or espresso maker. And so I brew my coffee on the stovetop like that. I have a badass coffee grinder. So I grind my own beans, put them in my little stovetop thing. Then I have a little stirring wand, a battery-operated one, which I, I nuke my milk in the microwave for 44 seconds. And then I use my, my frothing wand to froth the milk. Uh, I don't don't have any of the, the steam stuff from a, an espresso maker. So I've been doing it this way for several years. It's really simple. Everything's um, steel and stainless steel. So you just wash and repeat. The only thing you have to replace is these uh, rubber gaskets every once in a while that help seal the coffee. And the seal is the real deal. Without that tight seal, you don't get good espresso. You just kind of get like muddy water. So you have to clean that seal and replace it, or I replace it probably every six months. Um, I stretch it a little because I take it out and clean it. Um, but so far, this has been a much better option for me than a, an espresso machine. And uh, it takes up a lot less counter space. So I completely recommend it. Um, let's see. So I was thinking about it, uh, about some time passing, and wanted to note something that uh, the Challenger, the space shuttle, it, it uh, was launched and exploded 33 years ago this week. And I was in third or, or fourth grade, I believe. And uh, I the plan at school was they were going to have us all down in the auditorium or the gym, I guess, and we were going to watch it on a series of televisions. They roll out on these carts. And so all the classes would be there. It was a pretty typical event. But the day rolled around, and I was sick. So I stayed home. And I remember I didn't have cable, but, you know, we had the big three networks uh, in Medford growing up. There was really nothing but the big three if you didn't have cable. And so I watched the Challenger get launched and I you saw it explode, but you weren't sure what happened. Uh, I hadn't seen that many shuttle launches, and, but it was obvious that something bad happened. And so I immediately called my parents who were at work and told them and they had heard and, uh, you know, this was, there wasn't social media, so you had to be watching TV or cable news to see this. Uh, you know, you weren't going to get a wire report necessarily. People still read newspapers uh, for the majority of their news. And I, I remember going to school the next day, and I had a friend who lived across the street, and I immediately went to him, and I asked him, hey, what happened yesterday? Um, did everybody go and watch the Challenger explode? You know, And my friend told me that he actually had stayed home sick too. So it was sort of interesting. I live across the street from this guy. Um, his name was Kurt Hewsome, real nice guy. But uh, we both missed school that day, and I, and I cannot actually remember what happened. My younger brother was pretty, uh, pretty young at that point, and he doesn't have a real clear memory of it. Um, but I, I've talked to a couple other friends, and they seem to remember going down to the auditorium. And when things went bad, uh, that there was, uh, they kind of hurried everybody back to their rooms and played quiet ball or some sort of transition activity before they could figure out how to how to explain this to uh, to people. So, <laughs> uh, pretty pretty tragic event, and uh, you know we, we lived through another uh, another uh, event that happened. Uh, uh, 
this week, I guess 13 years ago this week, was Kobe Bryant scored 81 points in a game. And uh, I know today, you know, you have uh, Harden and Steph Curry and a lot of these guys dancing around and chucking up uh, 25 three-pointers a game, um, you know, maybe more. Uh, and it, it shows you how imposing Kobe Bryant was. Most of his damage was done at the elbow and the free throw line. Not that he wasn't a great shooter. He had a couple of, of uh, games where he did actually hit 12 three-pointers in a game twice. He's on one of these short lists. But Kobe did all his damage down low. He'd work you in, those elbows and shoulders, a series of pump fakes, and then some of the greatest footwork you've ever seen. Uh, terrible human being, but we're only really referring to his basketball skill set here. I mean, the guy was a real jerk, but that was sort of part of his uh, mystique, is that he was tough, he was mean, and in NBA circles, that's basically half the battle. As soon as they find out you're weak, they just devour you. So uh, the Kobe always brought it, and 81 points is probably as close to wilt as you're going to get. I'm not sure how... Uh, even in this day and age, you you just have to take so many shots and not get pulled out of a game. Um, we'll take Steph Curry, for example. Let's say he's hot one night and he's got 44 points in the first half. That dude ain't playing the fourth quarter. And if they're up 20-plus up points, he's just going to ride the bench and rest. Uh, no NBA team is going to risk an injury to um, a star player like that nowadays. So, uh, you know, there there's a couple of things from this week. Uh, that happened in the, in our past. And, uh, you know, challenger, I guess I forgot to say was 33 years ago. And the Kobe, uh, 81 point game was 13 years ago. So, uh, we're all, we're all growing old gracefully here. Um, one more, one more little note before we get into, uh, our hot topic of the day. Uh, I got a lot of uh, good feedback uh, from some dog owners who also agreed with me that they, they're sick and tired of dog owners, not picking up after their dog as well. And so that was that was good to hear. I I'm always uh, happy to hear about enthusiastic, responsible dog owners. <laughs> it's uh, a pet peeve, and so it set my mind at ease hearing people uh, agree with me, or at least uh, with the sentiment. So that was nice. All right. Well, today for conspiracy talk, we were going to talk about harp, which is H A A R P, and harp is a high-frequency active aureal research program. It began as a joint program between the Army, Navy, DARPA, and the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And DARPA, you may have heard of, it's, is uh, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. And they're a DC think tank that's tr that uh, has vowed to keep us, basically since Sputnik, DARPA has vowed to keep us uh, ahead in technology. We, we no longer will, would ever have a technology gap against one of our adversaries or another country. And so DARPA has continued to push the envelope for decades now. And of course, they're involved in the HARP research. So HARP is actually located in Gakona, Alaska. Uh, and its original purpose was to study the ionosphere and investigate the potential for ionic enhancement technology for radio communications and surveillance. Uh, work began in 93, and they closed up in 07 because it just became too expensive to continue to operate the facility. Um, the, the big thing is that, you know, of course, the government and the military and some universities were using this as a study to try and uh, push technology forward. But what 
happened and you know what often happens with uh, things that are highly secretive or hands-off is the conspiracy people come in and so the conspiracy theorists believe that the large harp array it's this massive it looks like a giant array of antennas uh, it's it's huge uh, think like a shop something the size of a shopping mall and that's what they use to charge the local ionosphere and study it well, the problem now is the conspiracy theorists believe that the large array can weaponize weather, triggering floods, hurricanes, droughts, earthquakes. Uh, they believe HARP has been uh, used to generate catastrophes in Iran, Pakistan, Haiti, Turkey, Greece, uh, Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans, TWA Flight 800, Gulf War Syndrome, and chronic fatigue. So basically, HARP's just responsible for anything that people can't explain that could be weather-based. Um, <laughs> the uh, another uh, you know you know you're getting good uh former wrestler and minnesota governor uh, jesse ventura claimed that the government uses harp as a mind control device um <laughs> you know and jesse ventura he actually went there with his tv crew and was denied access and he claimed it was because of all the secret stuff and uh, that they're hiding there. And actually, the reason they were denied access is because it was closed. Uh, the facility had been closed. And so there, there is nothing, there's nothing there um, except for some university students and some security. Um, but people like Jesse Ventura spur up the crazies. Uh, so what happened after Ventura and many other people claim this, um, all these things were going on there in 2006 or 2016, I'm sorry, Two men from Georgia were arrested before they committed acts of domestic domestic terrorism based on harp conspiracies. Um, it's sort of like the Pizzagate guy. I mean, these dudes from Georgia had uh, a boatload of AR-15s, uh, explosive material, uh, body armor, and they went to Alaska to blow up harp. And somehow they, um, you know, they were found out. The FBI is, of course, tracking people like this who are purchasing large amounts of explosive material and weapons. Um, when the men, they went to destroy Harp, uh, they were arrested. And the men told, uh, told the cops that, that uh, God told them the facility manipulates uh, weather, controls minds, and traps souls. So they told the police that God told them to blow this machine up that kept souls so souls could be released. And this is where... You see how uh, religion, a low level of intelligence, uh, mixed with conspiracy equals danger. I mean, these people uh, believed that someone was manipulating the weather, so they purchased weapons to somehow fix it, to save us. Somehow that would, that would make things okay. And the fact that they thought God spoke to them to commit an act of violence to somehow rectify the situation uh, to make it better. Um, it's, it's just, uh, gosh, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and it's not how the science of this works. The, the harp array, while very powerful and can charge the ionosphere, it only charges it locally. And technically a bolt of lightning has more power than the entire harp array can produce. So conspiracy theorists don't quite understand the science behind it. And neither do I, quite frankly, but I'm, I'm also willing to uh, learn more about it before I jump to the conclusion that Hurricane Katrina was a goof caused by HARP scientists and the U.S. Navy and Air Force. So uh, there you go. HARP is uh, today's 
awesome conspiracy. And uh, if you want to look it up, it's pretty easy. It's a, it's, it kind of falls in with the chemtrail folks and um, just people who want an alternative history or alternative knowledge. Um, they want to leap, you know, do a little leap, uh, leapfrog sort of situation. So they don't have to actually uh, have any foundational research done. They just decide what something is and then go from there. And uh, no proof of their claims uh, at all. So there you go. Harp. Uh, interesting thing. Of course, it's even more mysterious because it's so far away up there in Alaska. But uh, yeah, check it out. So I thought we'd uh, move on here and uh, continue with something that we did last week. There are things I like. And I uh, thought we'd talk a little bit about um, some snacks and some beer. I mean, I'm here in Portland, Oregon. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a beer expert just by, just by virtue of living here and liking beer. I, I've become an expert. We're all card carrying members. That's uh, part of the reason I, I have a beard as well. Uh, they make you have a beard, uh, while you're carrying your beer card. So, uh, there's a place, uh, over here in Oregon. There's a couple of them. There's a brewery called Freem. It's spelled P-F-R-I-E-M. Freem makes excellent beer. And they're actually based up in Hood River. And they have they have made some beers that normally I would think are disgusting, like a, a pumpkin IPA. And I just tried it on a whim. And, of course, leave it to Freem. They can make pumpkin beer good. Um, it's, it's amazing uh, what the brewers do. And if you ever get a chance to go to the actual brewery, the food out there is excellent. They have the best jalapeno bacon mac cheese I've ever had in my life. And, of course, that goes great with a flight of beer. Um, so, yeah, check out Freem. Um, I actually, a friend of mine just got me a case of uh, Freem uh, with cork tops for my, for my birthday. Uh, that, and that was pretty nice. Uh, an unexpected plus, I guess. Uh, another another brewery that you should try, and it's a small one. They do a lot of one-off beers. Uh, they'll, they'll tap a keg with a beer they're never going to make again, and they're called Oakshire, and they're based in Eugene. And they have some of they have some of the best beer too. They rarely make anything. I and off the top of my head, I can't think of anything they make that I don't like or that I didn't haven't thought was good. So Oakshire and they they have a little tasting room. It's pretty informal. Um, it's just like some cool hippie dudes brewing beer, and uh, you can go in there and they have some you know some little snacks. But basically, you can go there and get growlers and kegs filled, or you can have a couple pints. Um, and it's a pretty cool place, and uh, you know Eugene has a couple of good breweries too. Uh, Oakshire is not the only one, but that's uh, all we're going to talk about right now. Uh, I haven't actually been down to the Oakshire brewery in quite a while. Um, it's been at least uh, six or seven years, um, but great stuff. And I'll tell you, you know, after having a bunch of those beers or having a couple of those beers, one thing I crave is uh, some really bad food. So something I like to buy, another thing I like, are frozen White Castle cheeseburgers. And I would actually go to the real White Castle, but they don't have one here in Portland. Um, so I get these frozen cheeseburgers, and they, you know they're terrible. They just melt right into you. You don't even have to chew them. Uh, <laughs> so after a couple of uh, White Castle cheeseburgers, I like to eat a couple of giant sweet tarts. They come in these four packs. I totally recommend them. Uh, they're, they're chewy, too. Uh, and if you can't find giant sweet tarts, uh, go with a Chico stick or a good and fruity. I recommend all, all these candies. I, I love candy, but I always have to watch it because I realize um, as, I've, as I've gotten older, sugar just seems to beat me up. So I have to pick my spots to... Uh, 
to uh, eat a bunch of candy uh, and frozen White Castle cheeseburgers. But so far, the old body is still just soaking it in and loving it. So uh, continuing forward, I will keep eating this stuff uh, because my super smoothie uh, keeps me alive and cancels out all this bad food. And that's real science right there. <laughs> okay. Well, like we always do, we need to talk a little motorsports here. Uh, this weekend was the 24 Hours of Daytona. Uh, it was a pretty good race. Uh, you know, they start in the afternoon, and I was watching it, but they kept talking about the weather. Uh, the rain was coming. So around 5 a.m. Florida time, uh, rain came, and rain came like, yeah, like biblical times. It was, it was very wet. Uh, they had to red flag the race a few times. There were multiple spin-outs and wrecks, and it got down to the point where they were just driving around following a pace car. And so when they got to about 20 hours, and I actually stopped watching at one point um, because it was no longer a competition. It was just sort of survival. So they called the race um, in the end because uh, around 5 a.m. the rain just got too too intense to continue. Uh, so they went on for a few more hours uh, with the safety car, and then they finally just ended the race, uh, which was too bad. But uh, that's okay. In a month, uh, we get another endurance race, and we'll talk about that coming up. Um, there was some IndyCar news that I uh, I actually forgot to mention Uh uh, Sam Schmidt Racing, uh, their main sponsor is Arrow, and Arrow decided to buy into the team, essentially uh, buying up all sponsor uh, spaces on the car and fully funding Schmidt Peterson Motorsport. Uh, they're attempting to move into the, uh, with the big boys, uh, Andretti, Ganassi, and Penske, and uh, Arrow Schmidt wants to be one of those, uh, I guess they want a top four. And so they got Marcus Erickson. They moved. They brought him over from Formula One. He's all signed up. James Hinchcliffe is ready to go. And uh, Robert Wick Wicken's car is still ready and dressed up for, for him to drive, although Robert Wickens suffered a spine injury last year at Pocono and is still recovering. Uh, still one of his legs requires a motorized assist to move, although his road to recovery has been very impressive. Uh, he went from being unable to move anything from the shoulders down to a wheelchair to doing his own transfers to now uh, using these walking machines. So if anybody can make it back in a car, it's Robbie. And uh, everybody in IndyCar is rooting for him. So that's something I forgot to mention, actually, when I, uh, last week. I'm not, not sure why uh, or how, how I skipped, skipped over that. Um, the, other, the other thing, IndyCar, of course, uh, they dumped ESPN International when they ended their ABC-ESPN relationship. Uh, IndyCar is all NBC now. Uh, so ESPN International was still the group that signed international TV contracts for IndyCar. So they dumped them to do it themselves. Uh, they actually signed a deal um, with this group called Dazen, or it might just, it's D-A-Z-N, and they have, it's Spanish language um, streaming, and it's got a lot of boxing, a lot of soccer, and they now have IndyCar, and a part of this deal uh, actually worked because Fernando Alonso, the incredible Formula One driver, and he'll be attempting the Indy 500 again this year, owns the TV rights for uh, IndyCar and Formula One in the country of Spain. He's a very wealthy man. He makes you know, 35, 40 million bucks a year just to drive uh, the McLaren all these la and the Ferraris the last few years. 
So he now travels around the world racing. I'm sure he's uh, compensated uh, you know, well for it. So he was a big part of getting the deal in Spain. And of course, he wants to profit off him himself racing in America. Um, Dazen, we'll call him, Dyson, uh, also represents um, Spanish-speaking countries all over the world and Spanish speakers. Um, so if you want, and of course, you don't even have to speak Spanish. If you want to pay them for the streaming, it's a great way to be able to see races live. Um, IndyCar also inked a deal with Nordic TV, uh, which covers Switzerland, Norway, and Finland. And so you see how they're inking these deals. They're also working uh, on the, the Canada deal right now, which I think is going to cost Canada a little more money. Uh, but they're inking all these individual deals, and it seems like it's becoming a more lucrative uh, prospect for IndyCar. Uh, I don't think they would have undertook this if they didn't think that they could find new partners themselves uh, or, or not have to pay a third party to, to do this. So for IndyCar, who's not exactly the richest series in the world, although doing okay, th these were some big gets. Um, these were important TV contracts to sign. And, uh, you know, hey, if I'm uh, overseas in Norway, I'm definitely going to tune in and uh, watch watch some of that. So looks like that's all the, the IndyCar news we got right now. I did, um, well, you know, I did see another new commercial. Um, St. Petersburg's coming up here uh, in March. So... Uh, we're inching closer and closer. So any any day now, any day. Gosh, just can't wait for uh, IndyCar to start. All right, well, you know, this has been Ronkel and the Mayor. want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, no no Hana today. She is uh, in a different room, snuggled up and hiding. I'm in a, a sunny room closed off from the rest of the house. And uh, like one of my... Great friends said one time, uh, should have gone for the 20, but went for the Betty. All right, buddy, be safe. 45!